This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Dave Woodard. Last week, Quebec's health minister said that he wants to get a panel of experts together to see whether the province should extend its assisted dying legislation. Now, he says the definition of foreseeable future is far too restrictive, and he wants the courts to clarify the definition. In essence, they're looking to expand assisted death to those who have degenerative diseases like dementia, so people can consent to a medically assisted death in advance. So do you think people who suffer from dementia or Alzheimer's disease should be able to ask for a medically assisted death once they're diagnosed? Or is the legislation fine as it is? 416-360-0740 or one 740 In studio, uh, CARP COO and VP of Advocacy, Wanda Morris, thanks for joining us. And uh, on the phone, Shanaz Gokul, CEO of Dying with Dignity Canada. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Wanda, we'll start with you. What do you think about this plan by the Quebec government? Uh, I'm delighted by this plan by the Quebec government. And in fact, having worked uh, as part of the Dying with Dignity movement for many years, this brings me back to where the whole legalization of assisted dying in the first place started. It was, in fact, with Quebec and with the government having the courage to have the government having the courage to look at this issue. So kudos to them. I'm really excited to see this happening now. Uh, Shanaz Gokul, what kind of impact does this have uh, or what could it have here in Ontario? Could it change things? You know, I think it could be um, critical, uh, and I agree with uh, Wanda's comments um, that we're also very pleased to see that Quebec is leading the way. Now, the federal government had to strike a a panel, an independent review, um, um, as per the federal legislation for assisted dying last June, to study the issue of advanced consent, mature minors, and mental illness. And they announced those studies in December of uh, 2017, but what they said was, or December of 2016, but what they said was that the panels would not come back with recommendations. I think that what Quebec has done by, you know, indicating that they will be striking this panel, that they will be studying this issue, given their past track record, I would find it very difficult to imagine that they would do that study without having any recommendations moving forward. So our hope is that they have a sincere commitment um, to ensure that people who have certain diagnoses are not discriminated against. And I would hope that 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 their commitment will put a bit of pressure on the federal review independent panels who are going to be studying advanced consent. We should also be looking at coming up with recommendations and a pathway forward for people who have a diagnosis like dementia or Huntington's or Parkinson's. You know, Wanda, when uh, we came up or when the federal government came out with its uh, assisted dying legislation, it appears that uh, their hand was kind of forced by the Quebec government. Could you see that happening here? 
Uh, I, I'm hopeful that that will happen here. And I, I think also the, the commitment that Shanaz referred to, the fact that they have said they would study this, if that's to be anything more than just mere, you know, a tissue of words, then it needs to have a, a plan going forward. I mean, it's important to remember this is something that's of critical importance to CART members. We've polled on this repeatedly, and, uh, you know, more than uh, 80% of our members support assisted dying, and a similar number, 8 in 10, support uh, the right to have an advanced rejection. Objective, pardon me, an advanced directive. Right. And when we look into that eight out of ten further, five out of ten, so five out of uh, you know more than half, strongly support the right to an advanced directive. So this is an idea whose time has come. So you think that there's really an appetite to expand this current infrastructure that we have? You know, I absolutely do. At this point, you know, we've had the law in place for a year. We've seen, you know, contrary to some fears, the sky isn't falling. If anything, what we're seeing is there's a bit too much bureaucracy and people aren't able to access it as we'd hope they would. Uh, and I talk to our members all the time and, and they're horrified of the idea of, of dementia. For so many, that's, that's you know, the last thing that they want. They just want the peace of mind to know that if that happens, they have uh, another alternative. I'm speaking with Wanda Morris, uh, CARP uh, COO and VP of Advocacy, uh, and Shanaz Gokul, the CEO of Dying with Dignity Canada, on the phone. Shanaz, what do you say to those people who believe that expanding the definition could make the law too broad? Well, I mean, I think that we have an existing piece of legislation that is uh, already unconstitutional um, in terms of the eligibility criteria, and that rather than using the language of making it too broad or not, that the federal legislation should reflect the Supreme Court's decision in Carter, which led them to draft the legislation. And the other thing that's really, really important to note here in terms of what Quebec is also indicating, besides the study on advanced consent, is that they're now, now talking about sending a reference ca- question to the Quebec court on Bill C-14's eligibility criteria and specifically on whether um, it's constitutional to say that your natural death must be reasonably foreseeable. And so I think, you know, we would hope um, that courts, whether it's, you know, in Quebec, whether it's through the current court challenge that's been launched um, by the BCCLA and Julia Lamb, would recognize that what the federal government has put in place with the federal law is too restrictive and it's not constitutional. So we're watching that very, very closely to see how that story um, and that this, this process develops. That This could be incredibly important um, for Canadians all across the country because we do know now that the existing federal legislation results in one of two things. It either excludes vast swaths of people who should be included um, for consideration if they chose to have, choose to have an assisted death, or it results in uneven access. So depending on how your uh, healthcare practitioner interprets the legislation, you may be able to be eligible, and in another part of the country or another province or another city or even another hospital, you may not be eligible. And so we need to have consistency, and I think that this development um, could have very, very important implications. Let's go to the phones now. Ed in Toronto, what would you like to say? Hello? Hi, Ed. Yeah, well, obviously... uh it's not as cut and dry as uh, these people try to make it out. I think there should be controls through the courts and through a power of attorney because someone would, uh, it's just like somebody getting a, a cancer diagnosis and they said, you're terminal, you're going to be dead in three months. They told uh, Ronnie Hawkins that 15 years ago. They had uh, Bill Clinton come down for his wake, kind of. And I think Ronnie Hawkins is still around, isn't he? Yep. Okay, so uh, they tell somebody you've got 
dementia and you're going to be um, so uh, a vegetable in four or five years. But um, the point is, when, when can they change their mind? Maybe they're scared at that point. When could they change their mind, and who determines that? It's there interesting. Be a power of attorney, probably. It's interesting, Ed. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. We're going to be getting into that actually in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but I think one of Ed's main concerns is is a is a pretty decent one. Uh, what do you say when you have been given you know a false positive on something like terminal brain cancer? Well, and, and I think it's important to remember that this is a process, that this isn't somebody's getting a diagnosis on Friday and then Sunday they're having an assisted death. There's right. a, a long-term, uh, and everybody that I've ever met has a, has a huge will to live. It's only that when the quality of their life is so poor that it's better for them, they feel that it would be less harmful to be dead, do they actually want an assisted death. So what happens is if somebody gets a diagnosis that's a false positive, they may make preparations, but nobody is acting on those until their quality of life deteriorates. And if it's a false positive, that deterioration doesn't happen. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Dave Woodard. We'll go straight to the phones. Siva, you're not in favor of uh, assisted dying. I'm not in favor, no. I think it's the wrong thing to do, and people are just saying, oh, yes, that's a good thing, but it isn't. We have people who were in a home for just two weeks, and some of them fell and they die, and now the home has a huge class action suit brought against them. And no one is willing to say, well, their families were in Alzheimer condition, and these things could happen. So just imagine if you allow people the right to kill other people because they're sick. It's the wrong Thing to do. Well, I think, Siva, the, 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 the big thing about this is that these are the people who are, are you know, having a medically assisted death. Mm-hmm. They're choosing for themselves. They're, they're not having people. It's not a power of attorney that's saying, oh, yeah, we're going to we're going to unplug the, the life support. It's these people saying. But, you know, sometimes you don't even know if these people are aware of what they're saying. So it's a hard thing to do. And they might want to live, but they might be saying, oh, I want to die. Even young people sometimes say that. I met a young woman this week, and she tells me, I don't want to live very long. And I couldn't understand her because she was so beautiful. But I don't think she meant it. You know, she's probably under some stress, and she said that. So I think it should not be allowed. Siva, thanks for your call. Uh, Shanaz Gokul, I think that's one of the things that... Um, really they're trying that uh, Quebec at least is looking to do is that when people are still lucid enough to make the call on a medically assisted death, they want that to happen. It raises a good point, and, and certainly those concerns have been echoed by others. Um, but I think what you just said, Dave, that this is about choice, but I, I also think that this is about something else, um, and that there is a lot of oversight around um, assisted dying. There needs to be two doctors. If there's any um, um, complications or complexity about the case, a specialist may be, may be involved. If either of the doctors involved um, are concerned about capacity, then, you know, a psych evaluation and, and, and uh, you know, to determine that the uh, the 
ability of that person to make those decisions and understand the decision that they're making is critical. And with the existing legislation, you have to have capacity when you make the request, and you have to have capacity when you receive an assisted death. So what I would say is that the safeguards that are there for assisted dying are working, um, and they are rigorous, and that perhaps what we should be looking at is examining and ensuring that there are safeguards for um, a number of other uh, end-of-option um, care, including palliative sedation, or for the kind of care that people are receiving in hospice, palliative care, or long-term care residency, that what we actually need perhaps is more oversight, because there's a lot of oversight with assisted dying, and I think that the doctors that are involved um, are very well aware of the protocols that they have to go through to ensure that the person who's making the request is doing it of their own volition, that this is enduring and that there is, they've met the, uh, the criteria in terms of the uh, intolerable suffering that they're facing. So, you know, I, I would just say that I think that there's definitely other areas around end-of-life care that could use um, some, some more rigorous oversight. We want to hear from you, 416-360-0740, Should people who suffer from dementia be, uh, be able to ask for a medically assisted death in advance once they're diagnosed? Do you think the legislation is fine just as it is? 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. I want to switch topics just a little bit. On its face, looks like a good thing. Uh, more organs being harvested quicker for those who need them. Uh, when people uh, who uh, decide on a medically assisted death decide to donate their organs. But what happens if a person who's originally agreed to a medically assisted death decides to change their mind? Something that many of us haven't really thought of. I know I didn't. Uh, Shanaz. Is there a problem here? Is there a, uh, an ethical decision to be made? I think there's a lot of things to be worked out. But I, I think, you know, where I would start this conversation is that we know um, assisted dying, medical assistance in dying in Canada is now legal. We know that people um, uh, legally can donate their organs. So the question, I think, um, really starts at that point. It's, it's not about for us if it should happen. I think it really is about how can it happen so that we, you know, can ensure that those safeguards are in place so that people, um, you know, who do change their mind, some people will make a request for an assisted death um, who may also be on the organ donor list who may change their mind. And so I think that we, we need to address that there are certainly some complex, there's certainly some complexity here. There are ethical considerations. But how can we move two things that are currently legal um, in this country um, in a way that might provide a pathway for how this can happen? I don't have the answers to those questions yet, and I think they're currently being studied. And I think it's a very, this is a very important part of the discussion, um, but we really don't know how it could look. And I think that when we get to that point and there are options for how this could work in practice, then we can have a far more reasoned discussion about what that actually means uh, for people who are having assisted death and who would like to donate their organs or their body as well. Wanda, your thoughts. Is this a, a moral issue? Well, I think the 
the, the conflict or the, the concern has always been, you know, we want to give people autonomy over their healthcare decisions, and we never want anybody who's feeling vulnerable to be coerced into an assisted death. And, and certainly introducing organ donations potentially makes somebody more vulnerable. We never want to be in a situation where someone's looking at a friend or relative who's dying and thinking, well, if I end my life now, then I can prolong that individual's life. So no question, organ donations do add a layer of complexity. But to Shanaz's point, I think we can deal with that with some nuance, with some sensitivity. I don't think this is an area where we just want to do a, a an overall legislation, but instead perhaps uh, letting individual doctors who know their patients best have uh, perhaps uh, autonomy in how they approach the organ donation discussion. How about those who are, you know, terminally ill, they have brain cancer, uh, they have pancreatic cancer, they know that they've got months to live. Um, Could this idea of organ donation encourage them to end their lives earlier than they, uh, they had originally planned? And I think that's one of the things that we really have to guard for, because however you know, we might appreciate that side benefit, first and foremost, we have to look at what's in the best interest of the patient, and nobody should be denied even you know a day, a minute, an hour of their life because of someone else's consideration, and, and that's why I think we have to, to be very cautious in this area. Now, when I read this report uh, earlier uh, this month, 338 people in Ontario had uh, medically assisted death, only 26 of whom actually donated their organs or tissue. Um, is this something that, you know, maybe we should look at, you know, encouraging more of that, uh, donating? I, I would be cautious about encouraging, again, just because of that um, already the 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 tension between wanting to protect the vulnerable and wanting to allow patient autonomy. So I, I think certainly a, a patient I know who a doctor knows is is you know strong in their beliefs and not likely to be influenced. I think it's entirely appropriate for a doctor at some point to just ask the question if they've ever considered organ donation. But in other cases, I think perhaps not. Uh, and, and first and foremost, we must put the, the, the needs and the rights of the individual beside, um, ahead of any potential recipient of an organ. Shanaz, how do you feel about that? Do, do you think that uh, there is room for more, um, I guess, encouragement from the medical community? Well, I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to echo uh, Wanda's uh, comments of two questions back around uh, ensuring that people aren't being coerced uh, into something that they, they wouldn't have uh, come to themselves. Um, and that, you know, assisted dying uh, is about ensuring that people can live as long as they can, the best quality of life that they can until they can't any longer. And so that we wouldn't want ever to see someone um, end their lives uh, too early for any reason. Uh, and in regards to, you know, or, with re- organ donation specifically, there are a lot of logistical challenges here. Uh, and so, you know, people right now are, are dying in different places in this country. Some people are dying in community, uh, and many people are dying still in, in public health care facilities. If we're trying to move people to die in a place where they may be more comfortable in their homes, some may choose not to, but many will, um, then there are logistical considerations around um, can your organs uh, be be donated in certain environments? So I think that, you know, we need to understand the practicalities and all of the logistics um, 
you know, before I would take a position on whether it should be encouraged or not, I think, you know, for, there are many people, myself included, um, who've already indicated that, um, you know, I would like to be an organ donor. I've gone online and I've done that because that's really important to me. And I think that, you know, we have to find that balance between respecting um, a person's rights um, and their autonomy to their body at the time of death, but also to ensure that there are protocols and processes in place. Um, and then I think once they're in place and once we understand what that can look like, then we will know the kinds of discussions that we can have, that healthcare providers can have with their patients. I just think it's it's a little bit too premature to say one way or another whether people should be encouraged, and even that word feels a little bit problematic um, or not. We really need to understand how this can work and then open up those discussions about how when how then can that be addressed with patients who um, who may feel this is very important to them. In just a few minutes left, but we're still taking your calls, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Uh, I do have one last question. It's a little change of topic. Uh, I've spoken to the son of a nurse in Hamilton who works at one of the hospitals where many of these medically assisted deaths have been uh, performed. She tells her son that it's a very emotional thing to be doing. Uh, and that many of the nurses at this specific hospital are now conscientiously objecting to perform the task, largely because they were so inundated at the beginning with requests. Is there worry that some of these nurses and doctors experience burnout much quicker from this kind of procedure? Shanaz? I think it's certainly a concern. I mean, what we know with medical assistance in dying from the healthcare providers that we know, and we have a physician's advisory council, and many of those physicians are assessors and providers for medical assistance in dying, it's a very profound treatment. Um, it's unique. Uh, there's a lot of sensitivity uh, and emotional sensitivity that's required in being able to assess and then provide an assisted death. And we do know that there is still a shortage of providers um, across the country, assessors and providers, and that there may be undue burden on a few. Uh, so our organization is actively working um, to support physician-led training for other um, healthcare practitioners um, so that they can become more comfortable with the treatment and understand the basics um, and perhaps be paired up with another provider to have some collegial support. So yes, there is definitely a concern around uh, emotional burnout. But I also think that, you know, people, uh, healthcare practitioners, nurse practitioners and doctors who conscientiously object to providing an assisted death uh, should not have to uh, participate in assessing or providing. But in this province, we do have a policy from the College of Physicians and Surgeons of, of Ontario for effective referral. And what that means is somebody who is desperately ill, who may be dying, um, who is not physically able to you know, navigate a website or make a phone call themselves, and who, for whom we can't assume that they have someone, you know, family or friends to do that, that those um, physicians who have a conscious objection that's, um, you know, moral or religious, that they have to at least provide an effective referral so that that person can get the help that they receive. They may not be able to find it on their own. Right. We feel that that's a fair balancing of those rights, and that's an important consideration moving forward. Yep. Shanaz, uh, thank you very much. Wanda? 
I just wanted to say a few final words, David. Mm-hmm, yeah. Thanks very much. Uh, usually this is the point in the show when I remind all our listeners that uh, our advocacy is dependent on their support and to join us at uh, carp.ca. But I also wanted to just give a little bit of a plug for Dying with Dignity Canada. This is an organization that really punches above its weight. With just a few staff, they've been at the forefront of uh, legalizing assisted dying in Canada and now taking this next step. And I would just uh, encourage all our listeners to, to take a moment, go onto the website, Dying with Dignity.ca, sign up for the newsletter, and if they can, make a donation. Wanda Morris, uh, the uh, VP of Advocacy and COO at CARP, and Shanaz Gokul, CEO of Dying with Dignity Canada. Thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Wanda. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.